everyone. It's the Women's Hops and Talks podcast, where we elevate the voice of women in basketball. We've got a great episode for you today, including a really fun interview, which we're going to get to in a minute. But first, I want to say hi to Kendall. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Now you're on break. Is that right? I am. Yeah. Uh, What does one do on break these days? It's probably much more constructive than what I did when I was on break in college. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, because I'm so far away from home, I am staying on campus. Uh, Luckily, I do have a lot of friends kind of in the area that are staying. Um, So I've just been spending a lot of time with friends, getting caught up on work, just kind of taking a week off, honestly, from my crazy semester. So watching a lot of basketball, actually getting to watch full games that are not Blazer games. So that's exciting. (laughs) So you brought up the Thanksgiving holiday. Let's take a minute and think about things that we are thankful for with regards to basketball. Do you have anything you want to talk about? Um, I didn't think about it enough. Do you want me to start? I got one. Yeah, yeah, sure. Use that first. (laughs) So I'm located in Portland and the uh, PK80 is coming to town this weekend. So I'm really excited about that. I'm not – this is the first time they've ever done the Phil Knight uh, tournament and I don't know if they'll ever do it again. It's a tournament that Nike is putting on to celebrate Phil Knight's 80th birthday and so there's 16 elite college teams coming to town. So I am in advance thankful for it because I think it's going to be really fun. It's going to be exciting to have everybody in town. And I think it's one more thing that the city of Portland and local uh, the local sports authority can say that they've done with regards to holding a big basketball event because – I just really someday want to have an all-star game in Portland. And I think that if they pull this off and do a really great job of it, it'll be one more thing that they can point to about why Portland uh, deserves to have an all-star game. So I'm in advance thankful for how amazing this tournament is going to be over the next four days. (laughs) Yeah, I'm super jealous that I am not there for that. Um, Yeah, I have so many friends here that are talking about it. And then I'm like, yeah, I, I could be home for it, but I'm not, unfortunately. So I'm actually thankful for, um, this is kind of a uh, more in the future thing, but for next semester, I'm studying in LA. And like you said, with All-Star Game, wanting to come to Portland, I'll actually be in LA while the All-Star Game is there. So That's so I'm, cool! Yeah, so I'm super excited for that. Hopefully, I can whittle my way in there somehow, um, even if it's just to the Friday night practices or whatever it may be. Um, hopefully, I can get in there and see some of that. So that's something I'm kind of thankful for in the future that's coming up of an opportunity where I'll actually be in the area of the all-star game. Wow. That is super exciting. Hopefully we'll have some blazers in that game too. So we'll keep our fingers crossed. We got to get our fingers all warmed up for all of the Twitter (laughs) voting that we're going to be doing. Oh yeah. For whatever NBA vote Damian Lillard or whatever we're going to have to do this year. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Lots of votes for him. (laughs) I voted so many times last year didn't quite make the cut, but man, I'm, I'm really interested in what the all-star, uh, landscape is going to look like this year. I mean, there's suddenly so many people coming out of the East, which is really exciting. I mean, you know, everybody kind of had their eye on Embiid, had their eye on Giannis, but like the way that they've just come out the gate has been really exciting. And I, so I think both Eastern and Western conferences are going to have really interesting all-star races this year. Yeah, I think that's definitely, I think that's really positive because so many people were worried about it this year, but, oh, the West is going to be super stacked and then the East is just going to be terrible. And it's looking like now it's like 
that's not necessarily going to be the case. But because of the way they um, are actually doing the All-Star Game this year, because they're changing it, or they, they changed the way they're doing it this year, so now they have the two captains are p- pitching their teams. So that's I think that's going to cause so much drama, and I'm, I'm kind of excited for it. I think it's going to be great. Um, I think it's going to bring out some interesting – uh, conversations around that time. Yeah. Oh it's, man. It's, it's probably the two captains are almost like, I mean, there's almost no chance that it's not going to be LeBron and Kevin Durant. So putting them in there and trying to be like, okay, who are they going to choose now? And that's going to be interesting to watch. And I'm, I, are they going to go with their teammates or are they going to actually go with who the best player is? So I think that's going to be interesting. Yeah, I can't wait to see how they do it. I mean, I don't know that they've come out about with like when they're going to do it or how they're going to do it. Uh, but you know, they're going to they're going to trickle that news out and it's going to like last so long. It'd be so fun. If I had to be if I could be thankful for one more thing, it would be that the way that even though really the last couple of years there's sort of been like a presumptive champion. I mean, anything can happen, but really people have been sort of overwhelmed by all the talent on the team from the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. So there's been sort of like everyone's just going to, you know, they're just going to march to the finals or whatever. But despite all that, there are still so many interesting things that happen in the NBA every single day. There's like just not even any downtime virtually anymore. There's so many interesting things. And so that would be another thing that I would say that I'm thankful for. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not a boring league. You can say that. Well, speaking of entertainment, let's move on and talk about our guest. Yeah, so our guest today is the Associated Press reporter Ann Peterson. So Ann first started covering sports in Boston in 1989 and has since covered four Olympic Games, a FIFA Women's World Cup, two NCAA college football championships, numerous NCAA basketball tournaments, and countless other events in every major sport, pretty much. So she has done a lot around the um, the sports media industry. Yeah. And she has some amazing stories to tell. She was, uh, covered the blazers during the jailblazers era and she still covers them to this day. So, um, we let's go ahead and roll the interview and I hope everybody enjoys it. Welcome to the show, Anne. We are so happy to have you here today. You're the second guest on the Women's Pops and Talk podcast, uh, the first print reporter that we've got. The last uh, guest was Jamie Hudson, who does digital reporting. So we're going to talk to you a little bit about your life as a reporter covering sports for the Associated Press. Can't wait to hear the stories that you've got to tell us today. Kendall, do you want to go ahead and ask, start off? start us off? Yeah, so um, obviously there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of get into uh, reporting for different sports, but how did you first get into wanting to cover the NBA specifically? Well, so I, I kind of fell into it. Um, it was just part of the job. So I um, I started my career in Los Angeles and worked there for a couple of years. And then I moved to Boston um, with the AP and I worked there for a couple of years. And that's where I first started covering sports. And then um, I transferred to San Francisco, and that's where I spent the bulk of my career. Um, And it was interesting during those days, right? I covered, um, uh, 
being an Associated Press reporter, we kind of cover everything, right? So um, even here in Oregon, I'm not just an NBA writer. I also cover the Ducks. I also cover the Beavers. I also cover the Timbers. I go up and I relieve uh, our our Seattle writer on Seahawks games occasionally. So I do. Uh, so I do all different kinds of sports. I don't think there's a sport that I haven't covered. But when I was in San Francisco, um, my main beat, and whenever you're a sports writer, your main beat is the NFL, right? So I my my team. We had a couple of sports writers in San Francisco, so my team was the Raiders. Um, and I also covered uh, the San Francisco Giants. Um, what was the era that you were down there in? So I was there from 1990, uh, 1990 to uh, 2002. So uh, the Raiders were awful. <laughs> um, <laughs> They were really bad. There was one season where I think they only won one game. Um, uh, so they, they were really awful. Um, I, I got to cover all of, uh, I got to cover Barry Bonds's career extensively until I missed when he set the all time home run record, but I covered the season that he, set the single season home run record. So it was right, right in between those two years is when I came, um, up to, up to Portland. But so when I was, when I was in the Bay area, right, the warriors were just awful. I mean, there was just, there was no, there, they weren't interesting. There wasn't a lot of, um, there wasn't a lot of excitement about them. Like there is now, I mean, obviously they've got personality plus they've got a great quotes, they've got several championships. Right. But back then it was, um, it was, they were really, really bad. And the only time that I really covered, the Warriors was when um, PJ Carlissimo, who was the coach, um, he he and Latrell Sprewell got into a, a fight during practice, and it became it was blown up into a huge thing. So I covered that, right? So were you? Did you go to the practices? Yeah, yeah. For the when. when once that story broke, I went to a few practices. But I, <laughs> You're like, I don't want to miss that. Right, <laughs> but I'm kind of an Allen Iverson kind of person when it comes to practice, right? I just, <laughs> I really don't like to go and just kind of stand around practice. It just, like, it feels, I, I, I mean, I, I understand why the beat writers do it because, you know, in case anything would happen or anybody would get hurt, but, uh, for a practical matter, if I would go to all the practices, I wouldn't have time to do anything else. Right. So, um, so then when I came up here, so I, I started having kids right when I was later in life, I was, I was over 35 when I, when I had my, my first kid, Evelyn. And then, um, I had Edward shortly thereafter and the San Francisco was was really expensive to raise kids, right? It was just the it, San Francisco got wildly expensive 
very quickly and raising a family there um, on on a reporter's salary became became very difficult. So they said, oh, my gosh, the Portland, Oregon Bureau is it has a job opening. You want to go up there? And I was like, sure. What the heck? So uh, I came up here and I didn't realize, like, at first the I guess the tie that the community has with the trailblazers, um, it was it's kind of like nothing I'd ever seen before. Um, you know, I, I'd been in big cities where, you know, there was a fan base, but Portland, Portland and their Portland and their love affair with the blazers is, is something altogether different. And, and, um, I also got kind of introduced to the blazers quite abruptly because the second, night I had just moved into an apartment a, like a corporate kind of apartment right that they put me in to to say okay now go find somewhere to live and the second night I was in the apartment I got a call from Bob Witsit on on my cell phone and he said um we are signing Arvita Sabonis to a contract and it's like whoa so it was the so it was like not only did I get like immediately drawn into the Blazers world, but it was like immediate, you know, here is a, a player that has historical significance with the Blazers. Right. Right. And, um, people just, I, I remember it so well, people went crazy over that signing. So right? was this when he first came to Portland or was this after he had played and then retired and then came back? Yeah, this was the, this was the one year return. Okay. So, so I missed, I missed his career. I was in, um, I was in, in the Bay area. So I didn't, I didn't see most of his career. I think I saw him play like once or twice. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, yeah. So all of a sudden here I was, you know, second day in Portland and I'm writing about Arvita Sabonis and people are calling me on my cell phone and it's kind of like, Oh my God. And the next day I was literally on the court at the Rose Garden interviewing Arvita Sabonis. So, um, so it was, so it was quite, I mean, it was quite like, okay, here you go. It's, it's the Blazers and it's the, the only game in town. Right. It, that was really, really an interesting, um, I think it was a great way to start covering the NBA, um, because it was, it I was in a town where the NBA had a connection to the, the town, to the city. And I was, my first interview with it was with a player that had a historical connection to the franchise and mm -hmm. to the community. And so, so I thought that was like a great way to transition into, you know, covering the Blazers. It's like, I, all of a sudden I had to take a crash course in, you know, who the Blazers were, what they meant, and everything. It was it, it all kind of came together very, very quickly. And then, of course, I, you know, I would I was covering the other teams, but the Blazers were my main priority because at that point, the Beavers had that one year that they were good and the Fiesta Bowl year, but mm -hmm. but the Ducks were pretty bad. And so um the Blazers really became my focus. And and 
and then we went into the jailblazers era and um, I couldn't help but write about him because every day there was somebody got arrested. Right. So, <laughs> okay. So we're going to, we're going to work into the, into the jailblazers um, in a minute, but let's, let's start up. Who was, uh, who besides Sabonis was on that team? And do you remember, uh, you know, really stood out when you first started uh, covering the team? Like, was there, was there anybody who was like particularly helpful either on the staff or on the team? who kind of helped you get acclimated or was it just like you were there and you had to figure it all out? I was there and I had to figure it all out. I can't, I, I can't even remember who else was on that team because it was like this whole season became Sabonis, Sabonis, Sabonis. Right. Who were there other female um, reporters at the time there? So yes, there was a uh, a woman named Katie Brown. I don't know if you guys remember her. She was the sports, um, the, the, like the sports editor, sports producer, main sports person at K2. And, um, she was great. She was awesome. And she, um, she helped me out with a few things. And also in those days, there was a, a reporter who, um, did, I don't know what, what her connection to the team was at the time, but there was a reporter named Ann Schatz. Oh, right. And Ann, yeah, and Ann Schatz still is um, a, a great broadcaster. She covers women's basketball for the Pac-12 Network, and she also calls uh, Portland Thorns, th- home Portland Thorn games during the regular season. So so when you first started covering, um, did, did anybody – give you a hard time or was it hard for you to establish a rapport? I mean, what was the personality of the team at this time? Well, you know what? I had been around for so long. Uh-huh. I had already, my career was already established. So, so nobody, you, the Blazers were always really good with me, right? I never had any issues with any of them or, I mean, I got into like little squabbles about things and coverage with, um, with, with some of the, like the PR staff. Um, but it didn't have anything to do with me being a girl. It had to do with them, you know, them wanting to dictate what the AP was covering. And, um, and you know, I, I don't like, I don't take that very well when somebody tells me what I'm supposed to do. So, um, so, so those were the only things I've had. I mean, the, the people, I mean, I think, um, I think back, there were some difficult times in terms of coverage when Steve Patterson, um, took over the Blazers. Um, they shut down a lot of the access, um, and a lot of the flow of information and he was kind of weird and prickly to deal with. And so, um, so that was a weird time, but it was never, it was never directed to me as Mm -hmm. a woman. It was just, it was just like, they were just going through a phase and they, you know, and everything is cyclical, right? So teams, when they are, um, going through difficult times, usually shut down, and, you know, deny access and it, everything gets a lot more hard. To, any story becomes like a chore. And then when teams are doing well, everybody's happy and everybody has a ton of access. And, you know, it's just sure. like one big happy family. So so I found the uh, roster for the year that Arvidas came back. 
So I'm going to, yeah. Uh, yeah. So we've got, uh, I won't read the whole thing, but some of the ones that stand out to me were Ruben Boomche Boomche. I just love saying his name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Dale Davis, Chris Dudley. Oh, wow. Zach Randolph, Scotty Pippen. Zeba. Rashid. Yeah, Rashid was on that team. What was it like covering Rashid Wallace at that time? I, I didn't even, I, it was, it was like, it was like not covering somebody. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it was like he wouldn't say anything after the game. So I, so I never, you know, I never made him the story. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it, it was, it was difficult. It was really difficult because you could sit there and you could sing his praises. Right. But it would look really odd, you know, after a while to have a story come out all about Rashid Wallace. And there were absolutely no quotes from Rashid Wallace in the story, right? It was kind of bizarre. Um, we, I wrote, I wrote many, many stories over the years about what other people said about Rashid. Interesting. Because right? I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't get him to talk, right? He, for whatever reason, when he got here, and I never heard the, the entire story, but for whatever reason, right when he got here, there was a story that was published about him that he was not happy with. And so for the rest of his tenure in Portland, he did not speak very much to the media. He spoke a little bit um, when, you know, when he, when he and Damon got arrested for marijuana possession on I-5 coming back from Seattle they had a press conference and he actually spoke more than I think that I'd ever heard him speak before, but it was basically just, I'm sorry. Right. You know, I'm ashamed or whatever, whatever they made him read. Right. Right. So, um, so I think that that was the only, that was like the longest I'd heard him talk. Now, interestingly enough, he was one of the best, my favorite guys in the locker room because he wouldn't talk to us, but he would talk to everybody else. And he had a great sense of humor and was really funny and really engaging. And I thought he was really smart. And I think it was kind of a shame that, um, he didn't let any, you know, kind of reporters into his world. Wow. So he got burned early on at some point and just decided, no, I just, I'm going to just keep to myself when it comes to press time and just be a guy in the locker room. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't, he, I mean, we would all stand by his locker after games and he wouldn't say a word. So, so, you know, but you know, there's, there's, there's personalities like that. They, you know, the media rubbed them the wrong way and then that, and that's it. Right. The rest of their time is spent, you know, basically giving us one word answers. So it happens. Uh, So going back a little bit in your career, kind of to the early days, uh, was there ever a time that you kind of felt like that was when you had kind of made it and you felt kind of confident in your career? I know it can be kind of hard um, in the industry where there isn't really always that big moment where you know, but did you have any kind of moment that hinted towards that or maybe a couple different things that happened that kind of hinted towards yeah, no, but the, the moment I knew that I was okay and that I was on somewhat solid ground, I mean, you know, media jobs, right? I mean, you never know. But the, the moment that I knew that I was doing okay and that they liked what I was doing was um, when they asked me to 
cover the Olympics. So, um, so the Olympic assignments are really, really coveted. Um, it, you know, in no matter what media outlet you work for, if you land an Olympics assignment, it's like the Super Bowl of sports writing. And um, so, I, I got invited to uh, be on AP's team. AP, the Associated Press sends like, uh, like maybe 150 reporters. Uh, print reporters to the Olympics, maybe not as many now, but in the past there were, there's a, a, a huge team of editors and, uh, writers. And so they, um, I had been passed over a couple of times and I was always kind of salty about that. <laughs> and then, um, they said, um, we'd like you to come to the Olympics and cover volleyball. So, um, I covered volleyball for a couple of Olympics and now I cover, and then they switched me to soccer. So I cover soccer at the Olympics. Which Olympics did you get to cover? So I've covered, uh, so I, I, 2008 was when was was my first Olympics. So I've been to London and I've been to I've been to uh, I went to Brazil last year and then uh, I did the Winter Olympics in Vancouver. But I don't really have a winter sport. So the next time there was an, a Winter Olympics, you know, they, I had already switched to soccer and they said, well, you know, we're not going to send you to the winter Olympics, but that's okay because you're going to be going to the world cup. So, oh, um, okay. So, yeah. So it was like, yeah, okay. You know, and I don't, frankly, I, you know, I mean, I don't like, I'm at the point in my career where it's not like a huge deal if they ask me to go someplace or they ask me to travel because I, I, I'm really good just staying home with my kids, but you know, it's, it's totally, it's totally fun to go to these big event, these big international events and, and, you know, be in the press conferences and, and see how all of it works. And, and it's a grind. It's like 17 hour days for 32 days. Right. Oh my but gosh. It's, but it's really, I mean, you know, in the scope of things, it's, it, it really is like, you know, that I, I've always thought that the the Olympics, if you're a sports writer, the Olympics is like the the your Super Bowl. That's like the 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 highest thing you can do. When when you cover the Olympics, or actually when you cover any of the sports that you cover, are you reporting on the games? Are you also writing features, or you know what what do you cover? So both. Okay. So, um, so with, um, volleyball is more intense than soccer. Um, well, they're intense in different ways. So with volleyball, it's 24 teams. You have 12 men's teams and 12 women's teams, and there's 58 total matches over the course of like 14 days. So you start with a match at 10 o'clock in the morning, and then your last match of the day is at 10 o'clock at night. So, and you cover all of them. So because we're a global news agency, right? We don't, we, we cover Poland and Russia as much as we cover the U S team. So, um, so you have to, so you go into these events and you have to be really prepared. You have to know who is good in the world, who are the best players, you know, who are the best teams, where they're ranked. I mean, I, I literally, 
before every Olympics, I usually take like two or three weeks where I just cram, right? And I do all of my research to make, and, and I, you know, with soccer, I follow it internationally. So it's not going to be hard. Volleyball is a little bit different because you don't really have exposure to a lot of volleyball you know, international volleyball during the course of a year. So it's more of a situation where you have to kind of like, you know, I mean, I could stay up until three o'clock in the morning and watch international volleyball matches, but you know, <laughs> I'm just not going to do that. Right. So, um, so volleyball was more of a situation where I had to cram it was soccer. So the, 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 so, so you cover, so you're covering like five matches every day and then you're writing features also. So, um, so that's what I meant by 17 hour days. It really is kind of a grind, right? So you write all your game stories and then you write a feature, right? So, um, so volleyball is kind of a grind that way. Soccer was different. So for the, for, for soccer, I, what I did was I followed the U.S. team around Brazil. So I followed the United, the U.S. women's team around Brazil. So I started in um, a place called Be- Belo Horizonte, and then I went to Manaus, which is in the Amazon, and then I went to Brasilia, and then I finally, at the end, went to Rio. Um, so I there was a lot of flying um, (laughs) that was going on in there. And I just covered the U S team, but usually the U S team was grouped at matches with another match. So I would cover that one. So I got to see Brazil. I got to see the other big women's soccer teams. And then the United States, uh, the U S women's team was knocked out in the quarterfinals by Sweden and hope solo called the other team cowards. And it was kind of a big deal. But then it was cool because I got to cover the rest of the matches. This is kind of selfish, but um, I was, I, nobody was kind of, you know, dictating what I was writing. And so I got to write all these stories that I really wanted to write about, you know, international players, like, you know, the, the coach of Germany's team, who was an amazing woman, who is an amazing woman. Right. And so Um, so I got to, I got, I got freedom to write whatever I wanted to write, you know, so it was really fun. And then, but the, the back end, I also covered, um, I was backup writer on the men's tournament also. So, um, so the, the end of the Olympics got really busy, the, uh, quarterfinals, semifinals and final, because I was double, I was doing double duty. I was also working on men's stories. Jeez. Wow. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I can't imagine how much work that, that must've been. Well, to, so what is it that you, you cover a ton of different sports. What is it that you really enjoy about covering basketball? So I, okay. So I love, and I have always loved and have always been super excited about women's college basketball. Um, I, you know, I covered Stanford a lot in the years where they were really, really great. I mean, they're still really great, but, um, they, uh, Tara Vanderveer is an amazing coach. And if you just sit down with her and talk to her, she has such insight about the game. Um, and that's kind of where I fell in love with basketball was basically, covering women's hoops down in the Bay area. Um, when I got up here, so the, the blazers were such an 
a great story as a writer. I mean, I'm, I, I know the fans didn't feel this way because there were billboards going up saying we want a team that we can excuse me, that we can be proud of. Right. And I mean, there was, there, there were games there. I went to a couple of games where there were just like, not anybody was there. No one was at, at, at the Rose garden. Um, but for my purposes, it was a fascinating story, right? All these guys, they couldn't manage to stay out of trouble and they were trying so hard to turn, you know, Watching them try to turn the culture of the team over was just really fascinating. And, you know, and then along came Brandon Roy. And it was like, it was like, like literally, it was like a bolt of sunlight through clouds, right? And there was like, there was, there was Brandon Roy. And he, like, he, I mean, I literally think that Brandon Roy really did have an impact in terms of um, he had a, a, an impact that that when I look back on it, it was it was pretty significant in turning that franchise around. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was such a good guy and everybody loved him and he was media friendly. And um, all of a sudden, a lot of those other past indiscretions were kind of you know, we're kind of shoved in the past. Um, and people were actually, I mean, fans were actually hopeful. Um, we had, you know, it was Brandon Roy and LaMarcus Aldridge and suddenly things were looking really bright and, um, and that, but that whole story and the arc of that story was just fascinating, you know, to cover as a reporter. And when you, when I, sometimes when I go back and I look at, you know, the, the series of story after story after story after story about of indiscretion, you know, Zebo and the Hoop family and uh, and, um, you know, Damon and the marijuana and and Sheen and, and then Kintel Woods with the dog fighting. And then all of a sudden to have like one draft and to have that kind of narrative flip. That was fascinating. Kendall, do you have a follow up? I, I I don't want to dominate. So you, <laughs> Kendall, are you a, are you a have, are you a big huge Trailblazers fan? I am. Yes. Okay. How long have you been following them? Um, I I haven't been following them super closely up until the past couple of years. Um, but I mean, grow I grew up in Portland, so I was always around it. Yeah. And I used to I used to go to games with my parents and like my brother a lot when I was younger, but. I didn't really start following it until maybe like three or four years ago. That's yeah. when I really got into it. Yeah. And it was, the, those were great teams to start following, right? When we, yeah. when we first got Damien and, uh, you know, Damien comes to town and, and, you know, there was a lot of disappointment after Brandon, um, with the knees and, um, and it was, it, that was, that was, a, that was tragic. The, what happened to Brandon Roy was tragic. Um, and, um, he's still one of my favorite, favorite people to ever cover. Um, and that, but, but, um, but Damien coming in and, uh, and kind of picking up that mantle was, uh, was great. Mm-hmm. So, 
it sounds like the 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 jailblazer era was super interesting to cover whether or not the the fans were how they were feeling about it might have been different than how how you were feeling about it what were a couple of the the stories that you remember covering during that time that really stood out to you that like you'll tell your grandchildren or maybe you can't tell your grandchildren about <laughs> about the jailblazer era <laughs> i so I, I'll admit the one thing that I super regret over that entire stretch was that Reuben Patterson uh, got arrested for uh, domestic violence against his wife one night at like literally it was three o'clock in the morning. I get the phone call. I mean, the joke in our family began became, you know, whenever the phone rang late at night that it was like, oh, who got arrested? Um, but, um, but Reuben Patterson, um, he got, he had already, he had already had issues, um, with, uh, an underage girl and there were, there were some real problems there. And a couple of years removed from that, um, I sat down and talked to Reuben and did a, a really long interview with him. And he told me that he was a recovering alcoholic and, and, you know, you know, to me covering him at the time, it explained a lot. You know, he had had a lot of turbulence in his career, but he told me he was sober. He told me that he drank a whole bottle of vodka every single day Wow! and was was still an NBA player, which I, I, I'm still, I still don't think is totally possible, but, um, but I believed him. Like I totally believed that he was on the right path. I mean, he gave all the right answers about, you know, his recovery and what he was doing and how he was trying to make, uh, you know, make up for the past mistakes that he had made. I mean, he was making amends. I mean, all of the typical kind of, you know, recovery type of things that you would do. And, um, it was, I don't think he was truthful at all. Mm -hmm. Right. I gave him the benefit of the doubt, the doubt, and I wrote about it, but he was not too long after he was traded. And then he went, and then after his career was over, he proceeded to get a bunch of DUIs or at least one high profile DUI that I remember. And I think he was just, I think he was just pulling my leg. I think it was all like a, um, I think it was all like a PR move on his, you know, in his mind. Mm-hmm. Right. And I felt like, re- I, I felt like really, I did, I regret that story. Right. I look back on it and I was like, you know, I should have, I probably shouldn't have just listened to him and taken it on the surface. I should have, I should have been a little more thoughtful with that story. So that was, that was one of the things I regretted, but that was like the first thing that happened, right. That touched off, um, the series of events. Um, but Ruben was the first thing that happened. And then, and then I think it was, and then I think it was Zebo got into trouble with the drag racing. He was drag racing down Broadway and he was at a strip club and there was, and that, and the hoop family was involved in all that. It, there was a lot of stuff. 
And I remember at the time there was a lot of the stuff, a lot of the rumors that we heard, I couldn't print obviously because they were rumors, but I mean, Zebo was hanging with a really, really bad crowd. And um, so then that happened. And then Damon Stoudemire and, and Rashid with the, the, they were arrested for marijuana possession um, in Washington state in a yellow Hummer. I read that's the, that's the one detail I remember about the story. It's like they were in a yellow Hummer and then um, who else? And then Q with the dogs happened. And then there was, um, Oh, um, Sebastian Telfair with the gun in his bag. Right. So there, there, there was just a series of events that, that happened that were not good. Right. And, um, but, but it was a great story to write because every day there was something new. I mean, you never, there are some games where I just sit there and go, I watch, I mean, you've got, you guys have all watched games where like nothing has happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I mean, it's like you watch a game and it's like everybody does their jobs, you know, people score points and like they're supposed to, and there's no drama. Right. And I hate those games. Right. I hate those games that just happen like they're supposed to happen. I want drama. I want things to happen. And during that period, literally something happened every other month. Right. So there was always something to write about. So as a writer, it was great. It was fascinating. Do you ever get attached to any of the guys that you're covering? Yeah. You know what? I really like there's been players that have come through that I've really liked. And then I was bummed that they left. I mean, Brandon being one of them, I really liked Mo Cheeks. I, I, w- I was really, really bummed when he left. I was super bummed when he left. I just really liked him. We just got along really well. And, um, you know, despite Sebastian Telfair's trouble, I got along with him really, really super well. And um, I wish I would have exploited that relationship to – find out more about the Adidas connection, but I never did. Um, and I should have, right. Because that's a fascinating story. Um, was that from college? No, from high school. So yeah. So Sebastian was an Adidas athlete, um, right away. And there were always rumblings and rumors, and this is unsubstantiated that, uh, Adidas was in some way connect, connected to the fact that Portland took Sebastian Telfair because Adidas is here. So, um, so there were always rumors about that, but nothing that anybody could ever prove. That would have been a great story, right, at the time, especially in light of what's going on now with the shoe companies and the basketball teams, right, the college oh. basketball teams and the – FBI investigation. I mean, that, that would have been, that would have been interesting to look into, but I got along really well with him. I got along really well with his, with his girlfriend at the time they had a baby and they invited me over to meet the baby. And right. So, so I got along really, really well with him and I don't know we had nothing in common and I don't know why, you know, I mean, I, you know, I guess, 
I guess sometimes players think of me, they know that I have kids. A lot of the players know that I have kids. And so I think a lot of the players, some of the players think of me as like, they look at me in a maternal way. So I think that was probably what was going on with Sebi. Let's forward, fast forward and talk about the, the current team. Now, have you pretty much consistently covered the Blazers up until now, or did you... Uh, come back to them or have you pretty much been covering? No, I, co- I cover, I cover as many fo- home games as I can get to. And that's like, usually every, every season I miss about seven or eight home games. I cover almost a half a season and uh, no, I never left them. I cover them on I this year. I, I pulled back a little because I had other responsibilities. I was put in charge of uh, Pac-12 football, and so I had to dial back in other areas. Like, so I, every year I do Media Day, and I get gather features at Media Day to do throughout the season. So um, I've written about Dame. I, you know, I've written about Nurkic. I never got to my C.J. McCollum pre season story, which I wanted to do, but, and CJ's fun. CJ's a fun story because every year he does the thing with the student journalists. Uh-huh. And one year, the first year they invited me to come along and talk to the kids. And that was really cool. That was really fun. Uh, and then I really, really want to talk to Evan Turner and I haven't ever talked to him at length. And so, um, I'm hoping to do a story on him and his, uh, role and how he's faring this season. Um, I'm hoping to do it next week. Cool. Well, obviously, um, obviously the change in the personalities on the team over the years have been very drastic, but other than going from the jailblazer era to kind of the the more clean cut era now, what are some of the other big changes um, that you've experienced covering this team over the years? Um, Greg Oden. (laughs) Ooh, do tell. Greg Oden was like, uh, that was, that was a really fascinating time um, to get a first round draft pick and to take Greg Oden and then watch that crumble. Um, that was, that was fascinating as a writer. Um, Greg Oden, you know, just, just a tragic figure, right? I mean, he, he came in with such promise and he was going to save the trailblazers. He was going to be the big man that they, you know, they, they had coveted for so long and, you know, picked him over Durant and, um, the first season he's out his he's out his rookie season right he gets injured he's out his entire rookie season and i remember the press conference so well and they called us all uh they called us all to the to the rose garden and there was um it was in one of the uh it was in one of like the um clubhouse kind of dining room you know it it was a like club level Right. And uh, just the faces, the faces on the coaches and the staff were just crestfallen. I mean, it was like, okay, here was our here was our big guy and he's gone. Right. And then um, he comes back. Everything's great. We're all excited. And it just 
it happens again, right? During a game, I think it was against the Lakers and his knee just, I mean, I still remember watching the thing in slow-mo like 14 times and just saying, that's not good with the kneecap. And and then, you know, and then he was, he was getting into personal trouble also, you know, he had, he was at the party at Portland state and it, you know, there, there was some, uh, I, I forget exactly what the deal was. There was like underage drinking there or something going on. I forget the exact, uh, infraction, but there are pictures of him. And then, and then, you know, and then the, the, the naked selfies that went around. Um, and so, yeah, but Greg, but I loved Greg Oden. I mean, I loved him. I loved him as a player. I loved him as a guy. I looked at him like of all the players that, um, have been on the Blazers, Greg, uh, I looked at Greg Oden like my son. I mean, he was just, he was a kid. He came out here. He didn't know anything. And, um, it, you know, like I remember the first time I sat down with him, he looked at me and he said, Annie, so where should, what should I be looking for in a condo? And I looked at and I looked at him and I go, Greg, you gotta, you know, look for high ceilings, bud. <laughs> right? You know, but it was like it was like such a weird question. I don't think anybody had ever asked me about real estate in my career, right? You know? But he was like, he was very um at least with me, he was really honest and and really, I mean, showed vulnerability. And um uh we did I did an interview with him where I went. I, so I, I went out to the practice facility to do an interview with him. And it was just me and Greg Oden and Nate McMillan was there for whatever reason. And, um, and my son, I had to bring my son with me. And my son at the time was like um, three or four. And he had this little, Eddie had this little like tiger toy. And he was carrying around this tiger toy. But well, at one point, the photographer flashed, you know, had a picture of Eddie talking to Greg Oden. And here's this teeny tiny little child holding a tiger toy and this massive seven foot one guy looming over him. And it's like one of my favorite photographs because it like scale wise, it really showed you how huge Greg Oden was. And, um, and, uh, but Greg was great with my son. I mean, he was just, they, they, you know, he talked to him about tiger and it was like the two connected. And then a co- uh, like two years later, was it two years later? This was right when he got signed. And then like two years later, he, um, I brought Eddie to like a fan fest and Greg remembered Eddie and like talked to him and, and it was just adorable. And so, so he, he was in, he was a really interesting story and you know, there, he, he'll be an interesting story until the end of time. Right. Because, you know, there, there will be so many questions about whether, you know, that was a mistake or, um, I don't know if that question has answered itself yet, but, um, but, but drafting him with the number one pick, 
and um, and what happened in subsequent years. And, and you know, for Blazers and Big Men, right, the, it, like the curse really kind of continued with Greg Oden. Right. I mean, we we could do a whole episode, I think, just on Greg Oden, it sounds like. And how cool to you, for you to have that relationship with him. And I, it makes me want to explore, like, what it must be like for uh, guys who come out. Like, did he have people with him? Was he on his own? Like, did he really have to figure it out by himself because he didn't have anybody there to help him figure out what kind of condo? Or, you know, because nowadays – you know, Dame and CJ are moving here and they had their moms to help them and they have people to help them out. And I, I, I suspect that's something that maybe has changed somewhat over the years. Right. Well, he had, you know, his, his best friend was Mike Conley and he went to another team. So, uh, so yeah. So even like he was separated from his best friend and, um, I think he did have an older brother that came out like come to think of it, but like he really was lost. I mean, they were, the, the, the blazers were like showing him how to pay bills. Right. So he was so young. I mean, he was only, he was a one and done. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so he was only 18 or 19. Yeah. No, it's, it's fascinating to me that, you know, how that transition goes for, uh, for those, those really, really young guys. Well, I, I would, I want to be, uh, recognize that you've got lots of things going on. And so we should probably wrap it up here, but believe me, Anne, we're going to want to have you back <laughs> because oh, you have thank you. so much, so much to tell us over after so many years of covering the blazers. It's amazing. But, uh, but before we go, we like to ask the people that we talk to, um, to tell us a little bit about a woman who has inspired you in your, uh, you know, as a sports writer or in your career as uh, somebody who uh, reports on basketball and sports. Okay. So, um, the person that I look up to the most in the industry is a woman named Anne Killian, who is in the Bay area, who was one of the first, um, really one of the first women that I met, um, uh, that was covering sports. Um, she, she was a columnist for the San Jose Mercury news when I went, when I was in the Bay area and she's a brilliant writer. Um, she just, um, the way she can turn a phrase is so, so good. And she was the ghostwriter for hope solos book. So, um, we end up, I mean, our careers have kind of like, um, you know, we've crossed paths so many times, right now I'm now that I cover soccer, um, hopes no longer with the team, but at the world cup, Annie was at the world cup. Um, but she, uh, she's just, she just, she's just an inspiration. She really is. And she's only like five feet tall, but <laughs> she carries herself like, like she's like six feet tall. When you talk to her, you know, she, it's like suddenly she's six feet tall. And I always, she just, she goes into a room. She knows her stuff like nobody's business. I mean, I'm one of these people that has to study and I have to cram and Annie just no, I mean, she's got, she's got like a, you know, an encyclopedic knowledge about sports and she has been writing the best stuff about Colin Kaepernick um, of anybody in the Bay area. And, um, and I just, I just really, I admire her greatly. 
That's awesome. We'll have to uh, link to some of her more recent writings in the in the show notes for this so that other people can enjoy her her stuff as well. Kendall, do you have any last questions for Annie Anne, before we let her go? No, I think I'm dead. Questions. Thank you. Right, yeah, cool. thank you so much, though. Kendall, thank you so much. I hope that someday we can meet. Yeah, definitely. All right. Cool. And, and um, yeah, so you guys call me anytime. I had a blast. This is really fun. Wonderful. Oh, we will. <laughs> Believe me, <laughs> we'll be in touch. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Anne. Anne obviously has years of really interesting experiences and stories that she could tell. I already have like five more questions that I wish that I'd asked her during yeah. our <laughs> during our conversation. Um, when she was talking about Sabonis, I. If the next time we talk to her, remind me, I want to ask her about her son or about Sabonis' son and if she yeah. ever met him when when he was young or just, you know, the family. Because I'm always fascinated by generational NBA players. And so it would be really yeah. interesting to hear hear more about that. Uh, do you have anything that you can think of that uh, you want to ask next time? Um, definitely just more stories about, like, her interactions with players. I always think that's so fascinating. Just obviously, like – the media represents these players as almost like these inhuman like figures sometimes. So it's so nice to kind of hear these, these humanizing stories about them. I always love hearing that. I know Greg Odin and her little son and his little tiger toy. That's so cute. (laughs) She talked to, there was a lot of stories in there about the jailblazer era. And I know that uh, you were really young during that period. So you probably don't remember as it was happening, Um, but did any of that sound familiar to you? Yeah, all of it did. I mean, I've obviously, yeah, I don't remember it happening during that time, but definitely growing up, I remember hearing a lot about it. And then as I got more into the NBA and started following the Blazers a lot more, I definitely did my research on that era. I feel like it's, it's hard to be a Blazer fan and not know about that, not have some sort of interest. So I definitely know. Um, a decent amount about that era. Yeah, it was great to hear her, uh, like you were talking about, you're talking about the human side of it, you know, who who the guys were, what, you know, how she really felt about them as people. And because I just remember as a fan at that time, just being so frustrated all of the time, Um, you know, and so it was was good to hear her perspective on, on them as players. And just, I can't imagine what it must have been like trying to uh, cover, cover them during that. But it sounds like she loved it because there was always a great story to tell. (laughs) I hadn't really thought about it from that point of view. Yeah. I mean, that's for a reporter, that's gold right there. Thanks to everybody for listening to Women's Hops and Talks and helping us elevate the voice of women in basketball. We will see you all or we'll talk to y'all in a couple weeks. Thanks. Thanks.